Hey, everyone. Welcome to this live recording of the New Media Show. Of course, we want to welcome all the PodFest family for, uh, for being with us this afternoon. And uh, Rob, I think while I'm uh, kicking all the systems off that we're streaming everywhere else, why don't you uh, take a moment and introduce our guest? Yeah, it's, it's exciting. Uh, this is kind of rare that we have um, so many panelists on the show. It's more like what, what we do at the, at the live events, um, in-person in events, calling it. Uh, but yeah, it's exciting to be here. And uh, we've got a great lineup of uh, folks that are calling in uh, from various places around the world at various hours of the uh, evening and morning. So um, I want to thank all of them for uh, being up so late or being up so early, depending on how you want to look at it. But uh, down in the left corner, actually, James has got his name up on the screen, James Cridlin, who's the editor of uh, podnews.net, who's joining us from uh, Australia. So it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, so James, is it morning or evening? I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, it's four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock um, in the I'm, morning. And I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to be awake, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And then uh, right next to, to, to him on the screen here is um, uh, Norman uh, Chella, who's calling us from Malaysia, I believe. And uh, he is a uh, founder of Pod Lovers Asia and is a freelance content creator uh, if, as well. If you go to Norm, uh, normanchella.com you can find him and then um and then up in the upper right hand corner um of of the screen here is mark Asquith, <laughs> excuse me um from uh rebel based media and captivate mark it's great to great to have you in and you're calling in from from the uk i'm assuming yes i am thanks for having me in yeah well what well, well thanks but well the whole reason of getting everybody together here is to talk about the the global podcast trends that are rapidly happening around the world here. And it, 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 this medium is growing much beyond just being a kind of a U.S. North America centric um, activity for listeners as well as content creators. And just wanted to kind of go around the world of sorts here and uh, talk about that and talk about the trends that all you guys are seeing you know, in various places around the world. And I mean, obviously we're, we're not covering all the locations around the world here, but, but certainly, um, this is a good, good snapshot. And what, what was really just kind of, you know, we just go around the, the panel here and just get an update about what's, what, what's happening in your area, you know, in, in Europe. So Mark, I don't know if you want to start off first and talk, talk a little bit about what's happening in, in Europe with podcasts, new content growth, monetization and just kind of give us a snapshot just to kind of get us off the ground yeah thanks rob um i think it's fascinating break down two subset really in this business podcast. um right. it's been fascinating to see certainly in the uk independent but only just frank that figure out podcast something start thousand i know that there has always been people that have done that in the uk and europe but it's always felt a couple of years behind. It's always felt three, three and a half years versus from an acceptance perspective, whether that's people coming into it because they want to create content themselves or whether they see it as a business tool, whether they see it as some hobby, media. Regardless of that, it's always felt two or three years behind. So we're starting to see the questions in the UK in particular mm -hmm. from the independent 
coming through that we were seeing in the US two and three years ago. People oh. really saying, how does this fit into what we're doing? Whether it's me, the hobbyist that's creating a blog about Star Wars or whatever, or whether it's me, the business person or the quote unquote entrepreneur. Everyone's an entrepreneur these days because they've got the internet. So it's, it's, it's this kind of conversation around how does podcast fit in? And then I think from a media standpoint as well, um, looking at a lot of the people that own big IP, and again, speaking from the UK mainly, the people that own big IP, you know, we're having conversations with those guys that feels, feels like it's two and three years back from the US. People that own quality intellectual property characters or universes or whatever that might be. And only now are they starting to think, well, wait a second, maybe we could do something audio first with this and it not be audio, not uh, be something. So it, it's fascinating to see it because um, just to kind of cap that off, when we started in podcasting years ago, and we were way behind you guys, you know, when I got into podcasting in 2013, no one in the UK wanted to know. It was really, from an independent perspective, at least, very weird. No one really entertained it. So it's been fascinating to see it. And I think, I think we're getting there. Yeah, I would think that the the public radio side, you know, like the BBC and others out there, have really set the the tone for for content creation and things like that um, in in the UK market. I I see the same kind of trends happening in Canada, but um, all these big radio networks that have really dominated the consumption of audio, I, I would think, in all you know, outside of the US, uh, are really starting to think more about original content. Would yeah, certainly we saw that. Yeah, I think when we there was a conversation that I had there with someone um, mm -hmm. where they were they were asking the question that you know as, as the word podcast become the eponym just for anything that includes voice first content or voice only right. content, and it was a it was a fascinating perspective because I sort of I, I sort of trod the line with it where it was well kind of yeah I suppose everyone thinks that because your shows on YouTube it's a podcast. And then there's the whole, well, you know, the RSS argument and that whole, that whole side of it. And I think it, it's fascinating to see from both sides, but at its, and James will be able to speak to this a lot more, but certainly at its core in the UK, it feels like the first exposure for many people was public radio mm -hmm. taking their shows and simply packaging them into an RSS yeah. feed and calling it a podcast. And I think the original, the original content point that you made, Rob, is, is absolutely right. People are only just starting to wake up to that. And then, then kind of making the mental transition between not only is it content, but it's actually content that could actually be a media that can generate revenue. So it's, we, we, we certainly, like my first exposure to podcasts in the UK was radio packing. Well, that's the same. James, we uh, appreciate you getting up at 4 a.m., by the way. I think you're the one that uh, made the biggest effort here. So um, <laughs> welcome. And so, I'm kind of like to extend that to James. What, what do you think from your perspective? Cause you have a more global look. You, you, you do a lot of, well, before COVID you were traveling a lot. What are yeah, you right. seeing from a global perspective? Yeah. I tell you what, it, it, it gets to something when your airline actually sends you the in-flight magazine at home. That's a worry. That's not a good thing. Um, uh, and uh, thank you, Mark. When I was working in London for uh, the original Virgin Radio in 2005, the first radio station to have a daily podcast, thank you for tuning into that one. Um, so, yeah, no, I, th I, I think it's interesting. I think that um, when you look outside of the, uh, of, of the US, I think uh, other countries are a, a bit behind. 
here in uh, Australia, where I'm talking to you uh, uh, from. Obviously, I still have the UK accent, but um, you know, in Australia, we're probably about three years or so behind the US in terms of numbers. Um, so actually, you can have a look back through the Edison uh, Infinite Dial uh, figures and see that we are exactly where the UK, where the US was uh, three or so years ago. Um, and I think you know Rob was right in talking about public radio who've driven this, and I, I I worry a bit about that now because public radio did drive podcasting. People do understand what podcasting is. Eighty-seven percent people here in Australia know what a podcast is, but public radio is by and large pushing people towards their own podcast properties. The BBC Sounds app in the UK, the ABC Listen app here in Australia. NPR One in the US, that's not podcasting. That's just a collection of their own individual, um, individual on-demand shows that you know, is an app of, of their own right. And it worries me slightly um, that we've actually seen you know, not as quick take-up in places like the UK and Australia in terms of uh, podcast listening, um, possibly because people have been chaperoned into this nice, cozy, app which has their own stuff in it and no independent stuff, no the new media show, no pod news, podcasting news, podcast, which is also jolly good. Actually, that one is in, uh, is in NPL one. Um, and that sort of worries me a bit. I don't know whether that's the same in Malaysia, whether that's the same in places like Singapore as well. Um, but certainly here it is. Yeah. Uh, just to comment on that, it the patterns are pretty much the same. We are seeing a few uh, public radio stations who have their own inbuilt apps where they lead their listeners um, into you know, their own space. And this owns their, the space that they own consists of uh, what I call it catch-up rate, or at least like what we've mentioned before, packaged uh, shows that have already been broadcasted, but just repurposed uh, so that you can consume it later on at your own pace. And I think it's because Broadcasters recognize that there's a change in the behavior in audio listeners, at least in uh, those, at least in a few Asian, at least in Malaysia, at least in Singapore. Uh, so they make these apps to really capture that. Um, I'm seeing a lot of patterns quite similar to what James has described. Um, but we are even further behind uh, in terms of uh, where are people getting their information in terms of knowing what a podcast is. If we boil it down to that very simple question, what is a podcast? It's not even about RSS feed. It's not even about um, how you get the how you get the show or how you get uh, your episodes. It's all about where are you consuming the content and how. Um, we are seeing a lot of podcast listeners listening to it on YouTube a lot more. Uh, there are a few data sets that noticed that. Uh, recognize that there are a lot of audio listeners who would listen to podcasts on YouTube, which, you know, uh, contrary to popular belief, there is no RSS feed subscribing your favorite podcast listening app on YouTube, but people still search for podcast names on YouTube, you know, the second largest search engine pretty much, um, especially parent in Asian countries, at least in ASEAN, so Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, etc. They don't know, well, I, would, I don't want to generalize it that way, but a lot of listeners, uh, at least from these countries, don't 
really know the pure difference or pretty much don't really care. So uh, to them, video can still play a part in their podcast listening experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are seeing that more and more often. So not only the influence of um, broadcasters playing a part in educating people about podcasting, but also YouTube and YouTube. And that's a whole other story. Norman, I apologize. What country are you in? Malaysia. You're in Malaysia. Okay. I love yeah. Malaysia. I haven't been in years. Love, love Penang. <laughs> uh, Thank you. <laughs> um, that's, there's a whole story there. Um, you know, I think too, we see, you know, we said for years, we don't care where, con- where people find our content as long as they find it, right? So it's, this is a diversity of the content at this point that it can be really just about anywhere. And I think that's, the you know the positive thing but at the same time you know i was talking with a company in india um, a couple of days ago and i was like are you going to give your your users the ability to create podcasts and they hadn't even really thought about that so i thought that it was um and it kind of was like the headlight you know during the headlights most oh you know they're like oh i've you know that's an idea so i'm hoping podcasting continues to expand internationally as well and and andrew maybe you can weigh in on the subject as well oh no i'll, I'll defer to you guys i'll let you guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah i but, defer uh, yeah i think that the the topic that really really is fascinating to me is in in what i feel like is the difference between podcasting coming out of the u.s around the world really is the development of the indie side of podcast and that the conversation typically is pretty dominated by by the public radio uh, space uh, from a culture perspective. Uh, it's just been that way for years. That the indie side of the content creation has been a little slow to develop around the world. I don't, what do you guys think on that? Are we seeing a significant uptick indie side happening outside of the U.S.? I don't know who wants to go. go. Jumping from a, a U.K. side. Um, right. Yeah, we're certainly seeing that. Um, you know, running Captivate, we, we, we're still hugely skewed in favor of the US in terms of podcasts that start with Captivate. Um, but the UK is picking up. But like I said, it, it becomes a question of sort of why they're doing it. So there's, so, there's such a, a diverse range of people that are trying to start their shows in the UK. And they're asking the same questions that everyone was in the US a while ago. And it feels like unless you're a completely fresh podcast in the US, you're not really asking those questions anymore. And I'm talking things like, why should I podcast? What's the point? Those questions are already preformed and already answered. A lot of people that we see, certainly from personal experience at PodFest in person, at Podcast Movement Evolutions, those answers are already preformed. They've figured that out in the US. In the UK, there's still very much the why question from an independent perspective. Um, and certainly, again, with Captivate, we start to see a bit of a split then between independent content creators that are going after podcasting as a business. So, you know, the mini network popping up for people that are creating their own IP. Like every third person is a production company that is going to strike it rich by selling IP and beyond. And it's that there's so there's then there's, there's that extra distinction between those people that are still independent, but they're in it for a cut of things and the indies that do it. Because they want to create content, because it's like their own outlet. It's, a, it's their it's their blog. Yeah, so, it's their YouTube channel. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fascinating like a hobby to see thing that. Or a passion. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I Definitely. think I think it's interesting see, seeing the the UK, which um, has a lot of independent audio producers who exist because of the way that the BBC funds itself. Um, so at the BBC, a proportion that used to be twenty five percent when I worked there of everything that it did had to be done by an independent company. Hmm. So if you um, if you look at Podcasting, you know, there are some very large uh, companies. There's one called Listen. Uh, there's one called Something Else. Literally, that's what it's called, Something Else. Um, uh, and they do a really good job of creating great content that, um, you know, you kind of get the feeling that some of that content might have been good as a show on, on the radio, but didn't get there for some reason, but is actually a podcast now instead. And if you look at the British Podcast Awards, you know, the, 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 those awards are full of those types of shows. I think it's probably more different here in Australia in that the ABC, the public broadcaster here, doesn't have that uh, requirement to spend a proportion of its money on, on independence. Um, and, you know, and there's, a, there's a bunch of uh, chat in the, in the uh, Hoover thing. I, I've learned a new thing that a Hoover isn't just for cleaning the floor. Um, but you know, there's a, a conversations going on about about it in being much the same in uh, Canada as well, where the CBC mm-hmm. is doing great work in terms of the podcasts it's making. Um, but there is also, you know, a very vibrant indie uh, set of podcasts there. I I, I worry slightly that uh, um, the uh, the rankers and things that we now have, and the Australian podcast ranker is a fascinating thing. They kind of I worry whether they are um, sort of pushing indies away. There is an indie in the Australian podcast ranker, but only one, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, it's quite difficult if you are hosted with a typical ISP, um, a typical, um, you know, podcast host to actually be able to turn around and say, I would like to be in the Australian podcast ranker. That's a complicated thing for you to achieve. So, you know, interesting um, you know, interesting times, I think. But, uh, you know, a lot of indies going on here in Australia, um, you know, Canada, the UK, and many other places. Um, I, you know, again, I, 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 the stuff that I see coming out of Asia, particularly South Korea, is mostly rerun radio shows. Um, is the, is the, what, what's the indie podcast uh, scene like there? On the talk of South Korea, we're talking about a country that's been doing podcasting since 2005. So you have 15 years uh, to cultivate uh, that culture where people are normalized to the word podcasting as, uh, as the norm for you know, consuming content. It doesn't matter if it's tech radio or not. You know, um, uh, South Korea has always had a really strong radio culture. Um, so it's uh, always been normalized from the very beginning, a combination of both the influence of broadcasting corporations there to create their own shows uh, and to create that behavior that there will be other uh, independent in South Korea to build their own shows as well. Getting reached out by a few independents based uh, in Seoul to start their own show, uh, whether in Korean or in English, pretty fascinating. So we are seeing more and more indies pop up. Um, I would love to get more data on that, but uh, it might just be in Korean, so I can't really comment. But um, closer to home, we have uh, Southeast Asia. A lot, th- there are pockets. There are different sets of activity, and they are very country dependent. So 
uh, at least in Malaysia, there are a few networks popping up, so small mini podcast network. Um, you know, these are independent shows that they are united by maybe one team, one production team that is trying to handle the business element and you know, pack it all together. And now they are sustainable. Um, maybe not to the same numbers as, say, US or UK, but uh, they are, you know, actual entities. So that is actually pretty exciting. Uh, in terms of independence, trying to find each other or the community aspect, still a mm -hmm. bit fragmented. Right. Um, and it's kind of difficult to say how or what is the best way to connect it because Asia isn't really just one market. It's multiple markets and they are, there's a wide range of development in terms of the spectrum of a podcast market because you have extremes or you have the most developed like South Korea and India, right? India has, uh, I believe, out of the 400 million internet users, like a few million of them, I forgot the exact number. I, I can bring it up in a bit, but uh, I think 60% rise in the number of podcasters in India, right? That's just one country. And that level of success or that level of listenership um, can mean opportunities for people trying to tap into that market. But then you can't find those numbers somewhere in top. Or, yep. uh, or you might find that it's difficult to achieve that level of listenership or potential market because you have barriers like language. You have barriers like uh, cultural tendencies or cultural nuances. And also, us, listeners who are used to what podcasting is also implies a certain level of technological development. So right. these are people used to listening to audio content on their smartphones or on their computers, etc. But that doesn't necessarily represent the entirety of it, each country's population. Um, so we're, we're seeing quite a fragmented look uh, on one listener's uh, in terms of where they're paying attention to, so most U.S. shows, uh, and uh, does that represent the entirety of? Uh, so, yeah, uh, indies uh, they are definitely popping up. Uh, I I do worry about potential rankers and or competitions or judges because I've tried to I, I've I co-organized a virtual summit beforehand um, to help with Asia's uh, podcasting scene. And part of that was a competition to recognize, you know, Asia's uh, Asia's best podcasts or different categories. And we were looking at uh, the the question of indies versus production teams, like full on production teams. Um, there, there is this huge skew towards those who have basically more hands, more money, and greater production value uh, than it is for say one uh, indie trying to you know go against leagues and we saw these in the numbers for the finalists or the winners so it was pretty fascinating to see that people tried and despite that have a lot of hype not to not to downgrade like not not to make it really unfair but it, it just that it happened to that so I think too, oh, yeah, you, also were, got, you were you were talking about the podcast awards um, your yeah. your own uh, awards and you were saying in a in a podcast that I was listening to, that you're getting a bunch of entries from outside of the US. What's your experience there? Yeah, so the, because this this virtual summit was the first ever, right? So it was called mm. the uh, the Asia Podcast Summit, and in conjunction with that was Asia Podcast Board. So it was a team of five, and uh, 
we were all independents or we have involvement in podcasting, whether it's production for other people. Uh, we banded together and we started soft. In terms of the awards themselves, we were getting we were getting submissions from people that were not really following the criteria, right? They were not even in Asia. Um, and uh, they were well, and that, yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, my question was to Todd really about about what, whether you're seeing a bunch of new uh, of new non-US entrants to your award. We've tried really hard to make it clear that it's a global event, and um, we, I think this year maybe five percent was outside the United States. So it's much lower number than I had ever hoped it would be. But maybe it's just because of lack of knowledge that is, it's, you know, they see it on an English site. Maybe they assume it's just a, you know, a U.S. based award. You know, we've had a good diversity of U.S. and Canada. So this year, I think we saw more Spanish speaking shows and a lot of shows out of Europe apply. But again, mostly English based, not too many foreign, foreign language shows applied, which, you know, maybe we need to create a foreign language category or something to try to enhance some of that uh participation i don't know but you know going back to something norman said earlier about culture you know i look at japan uh specifically and japan there you don't see a lot of podcasters out of japan and i truly believe it's because it's purely a cultural thing people are not used to really putting their opinion and putting themselves out there publicly and because people are easy to criticize there and it's about face and a whole bunch of other things that go into that culture but and then you see China where it's mostly instructional type stuff versus commentary because you can't have commentary. You're going to disappear, you know, so they have to keep it non-political. Whereas we've even seen, I think there was a case of a podcaster running into trouble in Singapore, if I remember yes, correctly. Singapore. Yeah, Singapore. Yep. The, the podcaster had to apologize to publicly, profusely apologize because they had offended the government. So podcasting has a lot of dynamics internationally and there's risks for independent podcasters depending on where you live because unlike Australia, the UK, here in the United States, Canada, sometimes what you say can physically hurt you. So I think that has been a restraint to a certain extent. I, I don't know, Norman, and I, that's kind of, I wanted to ask you, what was the ramifications of what happened in Singapore? That was a very interesting case because I was, I think it was two days after uh, that it happened that the article came out that people in uh, podcasting groups on Facebook, uh, Asia specific uh, Facebook for podcasting, were excited that the word podcasting was even mentioned uh, in news <laughs> outlets. But it was for something uh, obviously out of the field in terms of uh, why it was mentioned. So it was a controversy and Basically, there were very inappropriate comments to someone of power uh, while they were on the show. And then it was meant to be, shall we say, as a joke, or it wasn't meant to be as insulting as it sounded. And it was too much because it's a published piece. So you have um, a large backlash, uh, especially uh, for Singaporean listeners, because it was quite a it's quite a popular podcast there. Uh, and they had to issue a public apology. So that, that's just pretty interesting because when you talk about podcasting, there are a lot of general benefits that people assume are true around the world when it comes to, oh, it's your show. You're not, you know, you're not bound by anything. You can say whatever you want. Oh, no, no. 
Uh, that's uh, that's that's not always true. Uh, it's not true, at least from what I see in Asia, because we have examples like happening. We have examples um, where your episodes are quoted and may be used uh, either against you or to talk <laughs> about you uh, publicly. And um, maybe maybe you have cases like these in the U.S. Of course, uh, but this is to the point of. All oh, right, yeah, James has brought it up. Uh, this is to the point of <laughs> this is to the point of uh, reputation, saving face, um, ensuring that your identity is protected, and also the harmony or relevance you have to society. When you are in a position of power to talk about certain things, especially as a podcast host, you have listeners, you know, those kinds of things uh, in Asian countries. To what extent will they respond to you? Will depend. On your ability to say something that may or may not disrupt the harmony of the country, and I know I'm saying it in a very woo-woo kind of fashion, right? Right. Uh, yeah, but it it is true to a certain extent, uh, and because of that, the fear of that happening, especially with this uh, article out um, and these use cases, people are becoming a little afraid of not not of publishing episodes, but of saying provocative thought or Encouraging a civil discussion. So we are seeing a trend where a lot of the shows sound a little bit too similar, or they have uh, they go with a lighthearted approach in terms of what topics they talk, what topics they talk. Um, but I I'm, I still keep in contact with a few shows, and they still are a little bit. Uh, they still are vocal about the way that they voice things. So you know, um, podcasters at least in ASEAN or in Asia, they're not backing down. Don't have to. But they do know where that there is a line in some <laughs> countries cross, right? that you can't, can't that you can't cross. So, right. Yeah, right. whereas, yeah. can you imagine telling someone in America this is a line you can't cross when you're talking about something it it goes against our nature? So, you know, words still have, <laughs> do have consequences here, but it's not the government going to call you and say you have to apologize or we will arrest you. It's not one of those situations. Um, again, I've, I, maybe I've gotten this off topic a little bit here. Andrew, you've been you've been over there in the in the right hand bottom corner, kind of quiet. What what's your perspective on what's going on globally here? I mean, yeah, things have definitely been interesting. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm mostly the behind the scenes guy in all this. I'm not really an expert in the podcasting or media space, um, but it is definitely exciting to see you know how everyone is handling different perspectives and I'm just kind of hoping that we're able to keep the peace <laughs> for the most part, keep progressing forward. Um, and so, yeah, I know about as, as far as yeah, overall podcast excitement, I think I read a stat. There's like what 800,000 podcasts at the moment. And like last year, there's only 500,000. Definitely crazy to hear how quickly things are growing. Yeah. We're actually way, way above that now. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I wanted to, to take us back to the, the culture um, topic a little bit because I spent time in Canada and I've I've been keeping my eye on podcast development in in Europe too. And the the impression that I've had is the public radio side has been so dominant in those markets that a, a lot of indie produ- potential indie producers see what the big media companies, whether it be BBC, CBC, whatever, and they feel like they have to be as good as them, right? In whatever they do with their podcasts. And I've seen them, um, you know, the BBC and CBC 
come into podcasting events and do trainings. And what they do is they, they show um, how they produce their podcasts. And, and oftentimes the, the, the people that were potential indie producers that, that go to those sessions uh, just get blown away by the complexity and the sophistication that these, these radio broadcasters bring to the podcast production process. And it just scares the living daylight out of them. Um, I mean, is there, and sometimes it's hard to get through that, you know, uh, when I talk to indie producers thinking that they oftentimes they think that they need teams and this kind of, kind of plays along with what um, Norman was saying, that they feel like they have to produce these extensive productions in order to get audience. And, and oftentimes I, I tell them, well, you don't really have to. Um, but I guess I just wanted to get your guys' thought on this. Do you think that the indie market outside of the U.S. can start viewing themselves as something different in their production um, than the CBC or, or BBC? And we're going to see uh, an expansion of indie producers like what we saw in the U.S. Because surely National Public Radio in the U.S. has been a dominant influence in the podcast space for years. But it's not really where it came from. It came from the indie producer side. And so is it just a culture thing that you guys think that we just can't get over, um, of just the dominance of public radio because in outside of the U S that there isn't commercial radio. So maybe is, is that the culture difference you guys think? I don't know who, who wants to take the complicated question. I mean, I'll jump in, I'll jump in if, if only because I was sitting there watching Mark nodding sagely. And thinking, <laughs> I was waiting for you, the radio man, to come in and swoop in. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, Rob, we do we do have commercial radio outside of the US. You'll be glad to know. Um, well, that's that's good. Of radio I just listening. never hear about it. I just never hear yeah, about commercial so, radio. You know, is, yeah. So, in the um, uh, in the in the chat, actually, Dan has been talking about uh, the Global Player, which is um, a another one of these radio apps, much like the iHeartRadio app in the US and Australia, which um, has a bunch of their own stuff and a bunch of, you know, especially invited indies um, to go in there. And it's always not, not very clear who actually gets into those sorts of apps. I have to say, though, I think that um, I'm not sure that this is a US and non, a non-US thing. I mean, you know, this great book here from Eric Muser, Make Noise, A Creative Guide to Podcasting, it's a fantastic book. But again, it it is written by someone who used to work for NPR, right. who, who uh, you know, talked a lot about you know, having your massive teams, how, how, you know, how to make podcasting and everything else. It's a great book, but it is, it is a very clearly a different style of making shows than you know, your eye. You know, I mean, I, I sit here and make a podcast every single day using a microphone and a laptop, and that's it. So. Um, you know, so I'm not sure it's an it's a U.S. non-U.S. thing. I think it's probably more just you know looking at the different ways that we make things, and what's exciting about podcasting, of course, is that it opens it up to both companies that want to have um, you know 20 people working on that show, or company or or people who only want one. If you want a really scary thought about how many people it takes to run a podcast, just uh, have a listen to the end credits on Friday's uh, New York Times Daily, where Michael Barbaro reads in his strange, funny intonation, 
about 45 different names. Um, I mean, wow. it used to be only three, and now, and now he's, you know, he keeps on going, and you're there thinking, when's this going to finish? Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it's probably something going on, uh, going on everywhere. Uh, Mark, do you, see, do you see that sort of thing? Uh, uh, do you see that sort of mix going on in the, in the UK and in, those, uh, and in the places that you look after? Yeah, I think there's a few fascinating layers to that, actually. You know, ultimately, with money comes pressure, and with pressure comes a requirement for an outlet, and often the outlet is, is, is being able to delegate X, Y, and Z to X, Y, and Z, I apologize, to other people. And the, the challenge with that, as you rightly pointed out, Rob, is that people believe they have to start with those outlets, delegation, and that goes with it. Right. But I think if we overlay that with what Norman said earlier, and Todd, what you mentioned as well, you know, we live in a culture here in the UK where if I say something on a podcast, it's, it's published, it's on record, but it's very, it's very difficult for someone to come to my house, knock on my door and do something about it. And <clears throat> what you mentioned, Norman, about everything becoming kind of standard, everything becoming a little bit desensitized to everything and it just being fairly similar kind of content. I think when you, when you add that, feel to it, where you start to see independents looking at what other independents are doing, either from a scale of team perspective or type of content perspective. Everything becomes desensitized. Everything becomes very, very similar. And we're seeing the heck of a lot of everything becomes very similar. And even the independents that literally cannot afford a team, that will never need a team, are either trying to replicate content that is from a huge team or is from someone that has copied it from a huge team. and. It's such an interesting problem because podcasting, I mean, you guys can speak to this better than anyone, but podcasting, in my view, does its very best work when you own a point of view or when you own a subset of people and when you stand by something and you, you, you know, not to be contrarian for the sake of it, but where you own this side of things and someone else is on this side of things. Right. That's where podcasting really illuminates. And as, as media becomes media, as podcasting becomes this fresh media and it becomes a thing where the brand book comes into it and there's 45 name credits to be read out at the end, it's, you know, it's not the Avengers, there's no need for, this for everyone. But as, as, as the big money comes in, people, in my view, the independents are seeing big money here, ergo I must need to do what they're doing to get any money. And they're, they're not separating the fact that they are an indie with a road broadcaster and they are not the New York Times. They're not making the distinction. Right. And I think that's, and you never really think that with YouTube. Like, think of a YouTube. I've got some LED lights that are intended for behind the TV. I just turn them on when I do things like this. I never think about sending this video to Netflix and pitching it because it's a different feel. But I think podcasters often don't get that. You know, they want, because the serial was the thing that tipped people over right. the edge for, for many people. They believe that is what a podcast is. And, we know for the vast majority that simply isn't what it is. Either Serial or Joe Rogan. Of course. You, you right. know, but I, I also look at it this way too, and I'm going to piss my pro-production team off because this show doesn't get edited. This show is what it is. It's, it's, we hit start, we hit stop, do a little audio processing, and that's it. Now, I've, on occasion, cut something out that I did something stupid or we said something we thought maybe meant or not, but that's rare. I mean, like one in a hundred. And, um, I think that from my perspective is, is there's a lot of podcasters also that want to sound a certain way. 
I, I do not want to sound like NPR. Absolutely, unequivocally do not. Now, there's the sound they have is uh, the $1,800 mic and everything that they use. It's, it's, it's an NPR sound, and you can hear an NPR bass and pacing and everything else goes along with it. I think that the beauty of podcasting really is, is you do it your way, the way you want to do it, say what you want to say, build the content you want. And that's what makes this content raw, unique. And that's why listeners tune in to, you know, Rob and I've talked about this many times and we don't need to get into this topic, but this show gets better numbers when we don't have a guest than when we do. Now on a rare occasion, we have like Adam Curry show blew up. It was a great show. But usually when we have a guest on, the numbers aren't as good because people tune in for Rob and I, they don't tune in for the guests. So some of those shows that have 40 producers, that, that host is not, that host is just a voice at this point. You could pull him out or her out and plug someone else in. And that show should be able to continue on stroking with the same type of numbers. So do people turn in for that voice, even though they've got 40 people? Well, they, they tune in because they connect with the hosts. Uh, at least that's been our, well, I, I know, but I'm talking I mean, about these the shows, right. But I'm talking about these big produced shows of 40 people. Right. Are they turn? Right. Are they still tuning in for the hosts? Is it really the host that's doing the draw? Is it that 40 person team that's doing the draw? I think it depends on the host. Um, I think some of them, I mean, I mean, like an Ira Glass. He's, he's a huge show and people tune in to hear him. Um, but you know, there's other shows. I mean, I've had this philosophy for, for a long time is that, you know, if you're a podcaster and you do it, do an interview show and you have guests on all the time, you need to make sure that you're having a conversation, not an interview where you're asking questions, you're shutting up, you're not giving your opinion or your thoughts. And a lot of podcasters start out that way where they, they really rely on guests to, to, to drive their show. And it's like, it's the biggest mistake in the world. And it's exactly what Todd was saying about this show is that our biggest numbers are typically when Todd and I, but that's not to say that I mean, if you're not strategic about it, you can bring in guests that add, add to that, just like what we're doing here. Right. This show. Um, and this is a very niche topic. It's very but it's broad too. So finding those, those topics that are flex points between being broad and very niche is, is I think the key to podcasting, but I don't know. What do you guys think? I'm talking. <laughs> I think it's a great point, Robin. I, I, you see, and you guys will have seen this, you know, the, the, the trend to enter podcasting via an interview show, just because like that's the way that you make your money. Right. Um, you know, that, 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 continues to be a, a huge thing. And I think it, it, there's a, a real interest in how far those shows will go. How long will that, it's not going to be a new media show. It's not going to last, stand the test of time because once, once actually you realize that you can only, you can only hit a certain number unless you are a one-off and you do right. something so radically different or you hit a little bit of luck or you, you know, just one circumstance changes for you and you are that breakout interview show. It, it really doesn't work for so many people. And certainly when, when we see people pod fading and people failing on podcasts, it's usually because they think, well, just because I can, then I probably should because I can plug this into my computer and now I can squadcast or Zoom. 
someone's told me I should be doing a podcast just like I should have been doing a blog or a YouTube or I should have been doing SEO all those years ago. You know, it's that crowd, I think, that starts this up. Um, and then obviously that's exacerbated by Tim Ferriss and the Rogans of the world that, that do this as entertainment. But in order to be entertaining, you have to be an entertainer. And it's, as, as you mentioned, James, you know, the, the book that you mentioned around um, how to be a great podcast, if that's coming from a radio that's all well and good, but that will teach you how to be that podcast. You can't be a Tim Ferriss or a Joe Rogan, or you can't be that level of entertainer unless you are good at being an entertainer. So study that bit. Like, forget this podcasting bit is kind of steady. Study that bit. That's where you'll get success. People, it's really hard work to do that, so people don't. Well, it's right. just it's just like why do Howard Stern bit, uh, interviews are so in in brawling? Is it because you don't know what's going to come out of the guy's mouth next. You know what? You don't know what question he's going to ask because he's prepped, but he's got a team that helped him prep. But he's just has this native ability to suck stuff out of people's souls and have himself stay stuff on the satellite now that they would have never said any other time. But if you can achieve that as a podcaster, as an interview person, be able to uh, to, to suck stuff out that other people's hand, you'll have great success. And, and that's I think that's why Joe Rogan's so successful. He spends enough time with his guests then he can kind of squirrel his way in and find those points he wants to dig out and those nuggets come out of that show and that's why those are great interviews but he's learned to do that trade over time and what, but what oh, um, what type of show formats guys are you guys seeing outside of the u.s that are getting some traction there or or is the whole storytelling thing the the whole game out there or right now is people thinking that that's what they have to do. You want um, a, the most popular format definitely has to be what Mark said, the show, because it's it, a very simple formula to replicate and you have examples of success. And that's probably where the disconnect happens. We attribute success in podcasting through the great, right? We have Tim's and the Joe's that have an interview show bring someone on, someone on that's interesting, ask interesting questions, and then just allow them to talk. And they believe that, you know, a lot of these up-and-coming up podcasters believe that by just copying that format, by just copying that show, then they will achieve the same result. But not as easy, right? Joe has been doing this for how many years already? 10, I believe, 10 plus. Tim has been doing this for years as well. And not only that, they have a body of work that allowed them to thrive in that kind of environment where they can ask the right questions get to know the guests that well they can you know uh pry in and ask the right things at the same time so uh but the thing is at surface level you don't see that all you see is an interview show and as a consumer as a listener you're listening right. to the conversation and you're like oh this is interesting if i would podcast i think i can just do the same um but you know reality would hit and uh i would always try to get people who would want to start their own show they want to do their own interview show uh, you always do the one month test. So do enough work to start a podcast for one month straight and then ask yourself, will you do this the next month or the next 10 years? And then you'll be a successful show road. And people would back off um, because better to stop now than be disappointed and pod fade uh, as a result of your expectations not being met and your definition of success to fail or fall down. Um, so mainly interview shows, at least in Asia, uh, but we are seeing more and more narrative. So independence, 
like one-person teams would be doing narrative shows, uh, or even just a small team of say two to three uh, would uh, compile say stories uh, and or uh, and or anecdotes to put together, have a few like uh, some level of sound design uh, because they you know they saw or they found inspiration in other successful shows, and they try to not replicate the formula of say NPR or Wonder or anything like that, but to replicate the feeling. Yeah. From an Asian perspective, and that's yeah, that's been popular. So, Norman, do you see uh, in 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 Asia, Southeast Asia, the is what is the percentage then between single solo shows or partner shows with no interviews and interview shows? So that's really three questions: how many solo shows, how many where where there's just two co-hosts, and then a, uh, the traditional out of the box interview show. What what do we think the split is right now? Okay, um, I can try to give an <laughs> estimate because those those are definitely the three uh, most popular formats. Yeah. This one, um, probably one reference uh, would be that that in Malaysia we tried to do a a KL pod, podcasters meetup, so you can easily, you know, make a guesstimate as yeah. to uh, the shows that have attended and what they've tried, etc. So, say out of maybe ten out of twenty people. Um, three to four of them are solo, and half of them are are interview, and a quarter would be around uh, a quarter would be a co-host, or uh, two to four hosts. So we have uh, these roundtable podcasts mm. that have been popping up uh, more and more often, uh, mainly because you can share the workload of conversation. Um, I, I don't see that many shows where. A podcaster or someone is able to maintain um, consistency in publishing episodes behind a microphone uh, all the time. At least in Malaysia, in Singapore, there are more and more. Um, th- there's a greater emphasis on co-host shows, and sometimes they will bring one guest in. So it's a bit like new media show, except right. they have their own theme and topic. Uh, but if if you just follow the LinkedIn feed uh, in Asia. It's mostly interview shows centered around tech, entrepreneurship, and business, and it's huge towards Singapore. So, a lot of not only those who are looking for Asia-specific shows that are getting a you know a modicum of attention in Asia, but also those who are trying to tap into uh, the Asian podcasting market or specifically Singapore's podcasting market to grow their own proximity because obviously proximity is like right. the core of any business. They would always go with the business, podcast, interview show. Uh, And from there, they would have. So how important is um, local language to podcasting uh, in all these? I mean, mean, like the UK and Australia is English. But as you think about other languages around the the world, um, do those countries that are, are predominantly speaking other languages other than English do they need to be thinking more about making English speaking content um, or that those local language podcasts? Because I've gotten the impression that, that uh, making a local language podcast can sometimes limit your, your potential audience, where if you produced it in English, maybe you, you have more of a global audience. I, I don't know. Let's, let's talk about that. I don't know what you guys or who wants to go first. 
Um, yeah, I can chime in immediately because that is something that I am heavily invested in in terms right. of um, uh, what uh, what kind of show can work uh, in Asia because that falls under that umbrella term. Uh, a preface to that is you really have to change your definition of success in terms of not only metrics right. but of the out, the audience that you are trying to capture. Hmm. Uh, I had this one of the episodes on my show was uh, is with this critically blamed horror fiction podcast in India. And uh, if you are in horror and crime and fiction, maybe you know the show. It's called Indian Noir. And we had this exact talk. We were talking about uh, non-English shows and the wave of them uh, coming up. Uh, and since his show is predominantly, predominantly from India, he would connect with other podcasters who are also trying to tap into uh, that multilingual market. So, you know, from him, he would say uh, something along the lines of, yes, at the moment, there are English language shows based in Asia that are capturing audiences for the time being. But he predicts that there will be just huge wave of non-English language podcasts that will capture the markets that we won't be able to touch at all because we don't speak their language. Hmm. What that means is that if we want to determine what is a successful show, in say Hindi, Telugu, or Tagalog, or Indonesia, or in Bahasa Malaysia, it will be very difficult for you to to copy paste the numbers from say English language shows and then just assume yeah if you, if you get those numbers I think I can monetize the show right it it'll be very difficult because the numbers are very different uh, the listenership is very different uh, and also how they listen to your shows may be completely different uh, that right. way I have a feeling that they don't have to cater towards an English language audience because they would thrive. And we're talking about non-English podcasters. They would thrive the most by just sticking to the environment that is listeners in their own local languages because they don't have to. That is their audience, right? It's already defined. So that's already a high-quality filtered audience for them to tap into and serve. They don't need anything more than that. I, I at least would see that happen. So do you think that the language issue here, is it more that the, the listeners are, would prefer to listen to it in the content in their local language uh, versus English, even though more and more people around the world can understand English, but they struggle to speak it, right? So you have this, this, um, language barrier of sorts of of probably being comfortable producing content in english when you're at you know when you prefer to produce it in your local native language um so is there i mean how are people you know evaluating that is it i mean or, or is it just they're trying to produce content that caters to just the culture and the the language of that particular country they speak it's quite an interesting mix because what happens in terms of influence of podcasts uh, from overseas coming into asia will mm -hmm. first be listened to by producers of podcasts in the english language which then those become the example for non-english language podcast um, right so the replication happens there it's like sort of like second order effect um, which is interesting because 
since a lot of these successful shows are in the English language, it'll be very difficult for us to safely assume that the rise in listeners from many different countries where English isn't really a primary language there to immediately hear the word podcast and think, oh, let's go listen to NPR because I'm pretty sure NPR does not have a Tagalog language podcast. I may right. be completely wrong. Someone can uh, let me know uh, on that. But um, Not yet anyway, right? <laughs> not, not yet. You never know. There might be an NPR international. It would be pretty interesting. I would love to see that. Uh, but, uh, but setting the example for what a podcast can be is a combination of seeing the successful examples, Rogan, Ferris, etc., as well as successful shows by local podcasters in English language. Mm -hmm. And a combination of these two leads to up-and-coming indies that would create shows in their local language because they know that they have the advantage of being able to do something similar or at least replicate some percentage of their success in that environment. And we're seeing a lot of these examples more and more often um, uh, in Nepal, in Myanmar. It's really, really fascinating because uh, we as podcasters, but as observers, can only even take a guess or even look at the audience in these countries, in these environments, only through the lens of that podcaster. So that just shows just how large the uh, language barrier is. Because mm -hmm. Rob, if I will ask you, like, can you make a show uh, in Nepali, right? Because there's a strong podcasting community. It's also on the rise, actually, in Nepal, which is pretty uh, interesting. Mm -hmm. um, it'll be very difficult for you to do so. Right. You need a translator, you need, you know, production, et cetera. And you don't yeah. even know what's considered yeah. a good topic or a bad topic or a taboo to talk about. But right. we have these podcasters on the field that are already there. They know what they want. They speak the language. And all they have to do is just learn podcasting skills, you know, a whole thorough of it. Mm -hmm. Filter out who is willing to commit beyond the one-month test. So who doesn't want to pod fade. So, James, you become, I think, our official slide giver today. You've been putting up uh, all kinds of great slides. So, thank, thank you for the a few, thank you for the a few pieces of information there. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the technical assist. So, I guess the question then is to both you and and uh, and Mark is, you know, you, you know, you guys are largely both in English speak, speaking places. Where we're you know have to deal with worried about non English speakers. Now, you know, Mark, maybe you more than than James, but what's your perspective? I think it's fascinating because as you said, Norman, you know, we, we have our own set of taboos and acceptable circumstances. And, and, you know, frankly, we're all, you know, <laughs> this might be a bit to edit out. The, uh, we're all a little bit arrogant with it, aren't we? <laughs> you know, we, 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 we put it out in English and we think that that's it. That we're done, and, and and as James popped up, you know, more international podcasts are launching, um, or non-English speaking podcasts than English speaking ones, and and we think of podcasting certainly. And I'm guilty of many people are. We think of podcasting as English speaking thing out of the US, and it's not. That's just how we've been conditioned. That's where we've come from. Um, and I think there was a, a great talk at podcast movement. It was one of the keynotes. Some data on this how. And I forget the network. Was it Kachina or Kachina? Yeah, I apologize. Um, but where they, they had, I think it was a Spanish-speaking show, and they'd, they'd intermingled um, their English-speaking content with their Spanish-speaking. When they split it, they saw a rise in both numbers because they specifically targeted each particular market. And I thought that was fascinating because it's, as you said, Norman, you know, it's, it's about proximity. You know, we, 
one of the first things I did when I got into podcasting was I just I get obsessed with get interested in things I love. So from day one, I was at podcast movement. I didn't sit on the fringes. I, I, I immersed. It was because of the proximity I fell in love with it. It's the same with content. It, it's, I, I think it's one of those things where unless you are dealing with it every day, you don't necessarily know that problem. So it would be very it would be very easy for me to say, yeah, of course. We should all be doing it in English. That really we even assume that I've got the understanding of it. Um right. and, and that's why Norman, you're a far better barometer. You're a far better gauge of that. You're so immersed. So yeah, I, I could easily become very naive. You know, and from a just from a business standpoint too, you know, we're I think Rob and I talked about it in the last show a little bit was the, yeah, I'm now getting a lot more Spanish shows that are using our services. So we're having to, you know, adapt a little bit. And uh, matter of fact, I'm getting ready to work with a partner. We're probably going to be bringing on a Spanish speaking support person. Now, you know, look at, you know, Rob, you guys at Libsyn, you guys probably use Elsie or one of the, you know, you've got someone on the team that's a native speaker. So that, you know, that helps a lot and, and we didn't have that. So this is something we're looking at now is, you know, how do I make sure that I take care of that community where I don't have a, you know, I, I need someone on the team that can help them. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and, uh, and uh, translation in the, in the interface is also important as well, of course. Um, and I think that goes for podcast apps as well. One of the things that I'm really surprised at is that there aren't English uh, sorry, there aren't language-specific podcast apps. So if I only speak German, please can I just have a podcast app that just has German mm. stuff in it? Or if I only speak French? And, and uh, there's kind of an equivalent of that with iVooks, um, which is uh, Spanish and Portuguese, but yeah. kind of, uh, uh, you know, not quite. And it's, um, and it's a peculiar app that also has an awful lot of radio stuff, you know, thrown in there as well. Yeah. But it occurs to me that there's real opportunities, and perhaps one of the reasons why many countries, and France in particular, where um, podcasting growth is not really happening that fast for some reason, um, might be something to do with language. And just maybe that, you know, we've got Serial and This American Life and the new media show, um, but we and the feed, um, but we don't have those uh, excellent shows in. In uh, you know French and in German, and in you know Tagalog and and in Indonesian. So you know may, maybe that's sort of part of you know part of it. I I'm my my assumption is that Apple Podcasts works great in all of these languages, but I'm not sure if you were to look at Castro or Pocket Casts or you know any other podcast app, um, how well those would actually work if you were. If you wanted, you know, the interface in in uh, in uh, German or in uh, Spanish. Yeah, yeah. Up to this point, we've had to rely on volunteers to do the language files for our plugin, and so I think we've got six or seven now that are, you know, I think we got German, Spanish, Portuguese, a handful more. But again, it's if that person is no longer volunteering, and we do five updates to the app, all of a sudden the the language prompts are wrong because maybe we've made a tweak there. Mm. And there's a real investment that you have to make to be able to, you know, to be able to support, yeah. especially just on, just on the tech side, not on the listener side. And probably the listener side is just as critical, like you said, as the, as the tech side. That's yeah, one of the a, interesting things, actually. Rob. Ahead, uh, sorry, Rob. Just to, ahead, I'll cap that off. because we, we found the same problem. It was, 
you know, handling translations, like we can become the pinch point as the hosting platform, you know, our, our, the same as you, God, you know, we, we support the same languages, but in the player. And, and we even found that a challenge because it's like, well, where do we, where do we prioritize this? And this is where that naivety comes in. It's like, well, wait a second, you speak English. So, okay, we'll put that, that's priority four and these other three things are, are above it. And it's, we have to be aware of that. And we are so conscious as not be in capital, but we hosts, so conscious of the fact that we could become the pinch point in a lot of this growth. You know, like what you're doing with the Spanish speaking mm-hmm. support is fantastic. I think it's a really, uh, the presence of mind to do that is superb. And it's, it's being mindful of that. We aren't pinch points on this growth. And I, I, I'm not sure actually that we've looked at that properly. I don't know if we've ever needed to look. No? Um, but it's fascinating. But sorry, Rob, I cut you off. I apologize. No, that's fine. I mean, the whole distribution part of this, I think, is a is a fascinating conversation that that really needs to be had on a broader scale too, about um, content coming out of other languages and other countries, getting uh, wide distribution around the world because there's. There's non non English speaking uh, folks scattered all over the world too that could tap into podcasts too, and is is a show that's produced in Malaysia um, going to be available in the the U.S. catalog? Um, I mean, it, it just the cross pollination of of content coming from around the world. How how are those being presented? I, I've talked to folks in Canada who feel like when they produce a show in Canada, um, they don't feel like they get the same kind of, you know, listenership and adoption like in the U S that U S shows get Canada. So there's this kind of missing component on the distribution side. And I think one of the solutions is kind of like what was just expressed where these, um, language specific apps need to be created. And I think we may be coming into a time where we're going to start seeing more, um, app created for particular genres of content, and then obviously mm-hmm. genres could be mapped to language as well um, that start popping up, mm-hmm. competing with app, competing with Spotify for for listeners. Yeah, and obviously, you know, Spotify is doing a great job of of uh, of internationalizing what it does. Uh, I found it interesting in the the new Apple Podcasts, the new Apple Podcast website. Um, you basically you can't link to a user's local version of that page. Um, it used to be in the old version, there used to be a way that you could um, link to a geo-aware version. So, um, you know, Mark would get a UK uh, version, um, which would talk about, you know, football rather than soccer or the other way around. Um, you know, I would get a different version here in Australia and so on. Now there's no way of linking to somebody's local version of, of the Apple podcast site. So we all have to link to either the US version or, or our own version. Um, and that's a bit of a shame. And I think, you know, it's just those little things that I, I think would really help where if you link through to, you know, um, uh, a, a news show, you can actually see, you know, people in Australia who listens to this news show also listens to blah, blah, blah. And it has a bunch of local uh, shows in there. That would be really helpful. Um, you know, so, but, but, uh, you know, as you say, I mean, I think it's, it's, um, you know, it gets more complicated when you are talking about languages and things. I, I did consider translating the podcast pages in pod news, um, into, uh, into other languages. 
uh, and then very quickly, you know, and to your point, Todd, you, you know, realized um, how complicated it is, how difficult it is, and how you can't rely on Google Translate. <laughs> and yeah, and the money, of course, is, is, is the other thing. So uh, yeah, so I quickly gave that gave that idea up. Um, you know, I mean, uh, normally quite a lot of people, obviously in in Asia, um, do speak English, which is kind of the the second language. But it's lazy for us to just turn around and say, well, you, you know, uh, I mean, you know, we the UK used to own Malaysia, so therefore, you know, you you'll all you'll all speak English, won't you? <laughs> um, that that's probably a little a little bit lazy, isn't it? You know, Norman, I'll let you answer that. But before we get into that, let's just remember there is someone from Apple listening. So if you want to talk to Apple and, <laughs> and, and, and this, this, uh -oh. no, I'm serious. This is your opportunity. And James, you kind of did it a little bit here, but you know, we have lots of people listen to the show that don't admit they listen to the show and they send us emails back channel say that they do. So I, I always want people to be aware that you can say, listen, this is pissing me off and this is why you may not have that direct line, but hopefully they'll hear it here on the show. And sometimes we'll get mm. feedback and they'll mm. come back and say, hey, can you tell James or you can tell Norman, we appreciate the input. And because we've had that happen many, many times on the show. So don't be afraid to, uh, to pull the trigger here and, 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 uh, and, and, and ask for something directly. Yeah, there's been times when we've gone to Apple presentations and Todd, Todd raises his hand to, to say something about a topic that they're talking about up there, and then they'll say, Todd, we already know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even have to say it. That's a worry. Yeah. So, but, uh, and, and I probably, ahead. Norman, you probably forgot James's question, but. Uh, a little bit, yeah. But I think I can, I can guess. Uh, James, you can just remind me in a second, but I'll, I'll try to. Uh, have my take on it because, um, yeah, it is a bit lazy because we just safely assume that majority of Asian countries speak English, and that's more than enough um, of a reason to tap into the market and think like, oh yeah, let's just let's just get the audience uh, while we can. Well, they, they all they all learning English. It's actually okay, uh, but that comes with a set of assumptions, and some of these assumptions range from. The assumption that everybody in a country speaks English and the assumption that everybody gets access to, you know, various ways to get to a podcast. And the other assumption is that they will all listen the same way or they will all listen to the same content. So, yep, sure, it makes sense. <laughs> if you want to go into Malaysia or if you want to go to Singapore, yeah, Singapore, there's a lot of people who speak English there. Of course, that's, that, you know, that's pretty standard to know. Everybody agrees. And you go in there and you would create a show that, you know, adheres to the standard American guidelines or talks about topics that are much more emphasized in the U.S. as opposed to uh, mm -hmm. in Asia. Or, you know, your, your perception may not be, shall we say, either well-received or even understood by the local Singaporean listenership. And that is when you have these hidden barriers come up and you would realize like, oh, it's a lot more complicated than just releasing a show in English. Um, and one of those ways to get over these options is to have show in their language or in their context. And uh, the mm -hmm. scramble for finding these uh, non-English shows is probably in a, a topic or uh, a rising issue for a lot of podcasting companies trying to tap into Asia. So we've had a few calls where you know people are like, "Oh, where are the 
Bahasa Malaysia show. Uh, where are uh, the shows in Hindi, right? Where are the shows in Indonesian? Uh, and sometimes I would just say, I don't know, because even I wouldn't be involved in that space. I know a few people who might, but I'm not sure if they can give you a satisfying answer because a lot of these companies who want to tap into these markets are looking for numbers in the thousand, like numbers of Bahasa Malaysia listeners mm-hmm. listening to Bahasa Malaysia shows. We don't have that kind of data or we, we can't really give enough to, you know, to aid in your decision on what to do next. Uh, and uh, now we're seeing, you know, shift in that. Pretty. And, and it, it's more complicated than that. I get asked this question all the time. How many shows do you have in Germany? How many shows do you have in Australia? Oftentimes, Australian shows will, will submit their shows to the U.S. Apple podcast market. And they're tagged in such a way that unless I listen to the show, I have no idea that they're actually originate in Australia. And, uh, so mm-hmm. being able to be able to say how many shows do we have in, or how many shows, cause I've got a directory and you would think I'd be able to break out easily where those shows originate. And it's, well, I probably yeah. shouldn't say this, but it's hard. It's hard to figure out no, where they originate. And, uh, uh, and part of that is, is, you know, the RSS feed gives you, uh, the language that it's in, but not necessarily the, the country that it's, that it's uh, from. And I think one of the things, you know, that I've learned having moved from the UK to Australia, which again, we used to own. Um, one of the things that I've learned from that is, um, we, we, we can say that about lots of, lots of countries, uh, the Brit. Um, one of the things I've learned from that though, is that, uh, there is an awful lot of different language and, uh, you know, and people talk about, um, feeling crook here and they talk about going into the supermarket to buy some Manchester. I walked up and down the supermarket aisle going, what is this Manchester? I wonder what, what, what is it? It turns out it's bed sheets because obviously uh, Australia, New Zealand, and South, South Africa call them bed sheets, call them uh, Manchester. So, you know, so it, it is a different, a different world. And I think, you know, that's certainly one of the things that I learned working in Canada, working in the U.S., where, you know, I as a Brit would say something and there would just be this look of utter incomprehension as I said something that, you know, clearly wasn't part of their, of their culture, part of their understanding. Um, so, yeah, so it, it is, as you say, Todd, it's, it's much more than just a language thing and a, and a tick box in an RSS field. You know, there's a bunch of different things and a bunch of different ways that we consume shows as well you know um my understanding is that you know even though south korea is supposed to be the biggest podcasting country in the world 45 percent of people tuning into a podcast every single week they don't use apple podcasts they use um local uh local apps and things like that and actually getting into those um apps is quite hard you know libsyn uh, has done some great work with geosavan with ghana um getting into podcast directories that aren't U.S. podcast directories first and foremost. They're podcast directories for other countries. And I think, you know, it would be great to get more of those in a, you know, great, in a great big long uh, list so that um, those people that do have different shows that they want to get out into, into other markets can actually, you know, do a bit more of that. If we ever well, do... Well, we're slowly uh, reaching all of those, all those platforms. Um, that you know are going to have podcasts eventually. So it's, and, it's and those an evolving. And those platforms are realizing the value of it and are reaching out 
to fill the inventory too. So, but I was going to say, if we ever do get any RSS expansion, I would be all for a new RSS tag that says, gives you country of origin. I would make it, uh, because basically what we're really doing here is an Australian company comes and you say, we want to run advertising. How many Australian shows do you have? And if I could just say, hey, I got 82, or I've got 106 or 20, you know, whatever it may be, three or whatever the number is, I could yeah. produce a list and we could put money in those podcasters' pockets. So what we're really impacting is, is potential earnings for podcasters because we're not able, it's much harder to break those shows out when you're looking at, you know, 1.35 million listings. It's, yeah. it's, it's difficult. Although, although, although on the other side, you know, I listen to a fair amount of shows coming out of the U.S., and I really enjoy your Geico uh, adverts and your adverts for stamps.com and for, you know, progressive insurance. Um, but I can't use any of those products. That's right. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a waste of, a waste of cash, which is why, you know, I mean, uh, you know, dynamic uh, ad insertion uh, is always a good thing, particularly a good thing here in Australia, because not very many people buy ads into <laughs> Australia. I'm sure that, Norman, you get the same, the same thing. So you have people saying, and we'll be back after the break, and we're back. <laughs> Which is- well, you know, and the the <laughs> podcaster typically doesn't get paid for those. Right, that's either, right. So, they don't get paid. So it's a loss for the advertiser, and it's a loss for the podcaster yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Or you get to hear a to their podcast, you get to right? hear a non-relevant <laughs> ad, and they don't get paid for it. So it's a waste on both ends. Right. Yeah. I think there's definitely a unification challenge as well. Like Todd, you mentioned around that country of origin, like. We know that that's a, a, a point for some of the newer directories coming onto the market. You know, the collection of country of origin may be something of, of use. <laughs> and I think that, that then leads to that unification challenge as you've always fought for, which is the RSS you know, changes, the expansion of RSS, which then trickles down into the apps and then the hosts and so on and so forth. And, you know, look at the furore around when the new Apple categories were announced, you know, some hosts, there were some hosts that said they did it and had not done it. And, you know, there were some hosts that did it very, very early and were fantastic with it. I think that experience for the whole podcast industry becomes a challenge because that country of origin is a great, great idea. And you know that it's useful data. Distributors are starting to ask for it. But it's, I think one of the biggest challenges then is that how can we all move together at the same pace or very similar kind of pace? Um, and when, you know what it's like when you, you know, when you're a hosting platform, you get asked for these things, you get asked for integrations all of the time. Um, and it's, it's back to that pinch point from earlier. It's like, wait a sec, one host this, mm-hmm. the other one does that, the one goes, this. okay, we'll do this one first, then we'll do that one. And it's sort of a, it's not an easy thing because we're balancing this open nature of podcasting with the commercial reality of being business. Um, and it's, I think that's sort of. A, a semi, I, I don't want to say a problem, but it's certainly a challenge where podcasting is becoming so big that things have to move so quickly for people. It all kind of has to move together. And Todd, I think you, I think you nailed it down perfectly. Like the RSS expansion is just the epicenter of it all. You know, it's a huge, that could be solidified and unified like you guys are trying to do with the, with the group and the coalition. Fantastic. But then it's that mindset for, there's a new player coming into the market, a new distributor, get all the hosts around the table and out together. So it's, it's a bizarre thing because it's commercial. You've got to be commercial about it. Yeah, it's, podcasting has always been this open space. Really interesting. That fascinates 
you know, in, you know, I can shove a, a, a tag down people's throats. I can just announce that we're supporting it and do it. But we've found in the past. And for those of you that are like your, your eyes are glazing over your RSS feed has elements in it. A tag just basically contains, it could say USA, it could say Germany, whatever it could say. The tag could be a, uh, have a certain amount of text in it that gives us the information where something rigid. I can shove it down your throat, but you know what? Uh, Mark and Rob, you both can flip me the bird and, and not adopt it. And, um, and, and, and that has been the case when we've tried to, we learned many years ago when we introduced new namespaces that basically, oh, that's a blueberry thing. So we're, we're not going to do that because it's almost like, oh, that's in their, their, their uh, sandbox. You're, so you're, you're a bit, you're a bit scarred by some of the work that you uh, did. And I think, uh, you know, there is, a, the, there is at least now an industry body um, that if only, if only the chairman was <laughs> On this uh, on this show, um, that might be able to help not not just pull in uh, not just pull in you know individual uh, individual podcast hosts to say let's agree on a new RSS standard that that uh, or or a new RSS tag that's fine but that's only one half of it that's of course true. because if if Pocket Cast isn't using it Apple isn't using it Spotify isn't using it you know then then there's no point so I think having all of those people sat round a you know uh, round a table, uh, talking to them about you know some of those things that would be really helpful. By the way, I would say not just a country, but actually a place would be really helpful. Oh. Um, because that way, or even a, a, an OpenStreetMaps uh, you know ID um, to actually then allow me to find shows that are coming from Brisbane, where I live, rather than uh, you know those dirty people in Melbourne or Sydney. Nobody wants that. Um, well, we can you know, finally so have be really uh, good. locally sourced content um, that comes up in these lists, right? So you yeah. start being able to discover that. I mean, I, I've been thinking about that for, I know Todd knows, probably a decade. Just of how at some point, once the listenership level of this scale, yeah, to do localized directory, right? That, you know, it's not like it's rocket science here. I mean, a lot of the radio listeners have been doing this principle for many years yeah. of pulling up your local radio station, radio listeners. So we could certainly do that with podcasts. It wouldn't be a, be a heavy lift. Fortunately, and, um, fortunately, we can do some of those and not need Apple buy-in or, or Overcast or PocketCast because right. some of them are going to be for our internal host providers benefit or internal directories. And then people can adopt if they want. So some stuff, we really don't need their buy-in. We just initiate it and do it and just have to have buy-in by enough of the, you know, the, what is there, 30 podcast hosting companies now. If you can get 10 of them yeah. to say, yeah, let's support it, then that goes a long way. Yeah. And of course, you know, the, there's the whole issue. And I found this because I, I worked on a, a radio app in the UK called Radio Player, which is now all over the place, including in Canada. Um, there's, there's a difference as well in where you are from, where this podcast is from, and what the editorial content of that podcast is. So there may well, you know, so there's a great podcast um, that comes out occasionally here called Brisbane is Weird, and, it, uh, and it's just stories of Brisbane. Um, and, you know, that would have a very tight editorial uh, f focus of Brisbane, and that's it. Um, whereas 
pod news, you know, hopefully is is uh, global in interest. And so therefore, you know, I would like to tag that as being just uh, of interest, you know, uh, as interesting, hopefully, if you're in Michigan or if you're in Seattle than if you're in Brisbane or, you know, Melbourne. So, you know, it, it all of a sudden, when you start talking about new tags and new RSS namespaces, things get really, really complicated. <laughs> Uh, which is always fun. Just to admin, There's though, always the... Um, uh, one second, Mark. Oh, sorry, sorry. Do we have two hours, Rob, or we have 90 minutes? Yes, two. Okay, two. so go ahead, Mark. Thank you. Um, uh, it's, it's a great point on, on the, the, the entire tagging scenario. And uh, one interesting point that always springs to mind when we, th- when we think about progressing podcasting in this way is um, the end game for the people with a stake in this. So I'm talking primarily about the players. You know, I'm talking about the distribution channels mentioned be there um where we've got apple spotify and overcast you know it's all right if you've got a half a percent market share in some player that comes out of 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 wherever and that's all right because you can kind of take a risk on things and you can it's easy to get the buying for those people to work with other people to do these change making things but when you think then start to think about apple spotify and overcast you know overcast independent app what 10 11 12 percent listenership market share at what point does it become a duty of care where your own belief system as a business and as a brand has to also be then matched with the progression of the industry? So I'm talking about, you know, the, the overcast or whatever, the simple refusal to do something because you simply don't like. At what point does the market share tip over where you have a duty of care to the industry? And I think that's a fascinating conversation because, you know, Apple, Spotify, Overcast, every other app, they've got so different values and approaches and outcomes you know mark i'd love to have marco on here right now i think this could turn into a very a very interesting conversation i would just sit back and watch the fur fly um it would be good i think my cable would just go funny I'd, i'd have technical problems it'd be all sorts but uh you know james has got a good uh chart up apple's still number one no matter what people say and they, they are uh, globally, globally. <laughs> and I think, and I think this is sort of part of the issue here that globally, yes, Apple is, is clearly number one, Spotify clearly number two. Um, uh, not with you, everybody. When you, where, uh, not with everybody, but, uh, but with, <laughs> in most, in most cases, yeah. when you then start having a look at different countries, then uh, things change very, very fast. And, you know, and obviously, if you're a company, if you're a country that has 80% uh, Android use um, and only 20% Apple use, it's it, it's not going to be the case that Apple is number one in terms of podcast. So, um, so I think when we see these, and and you know, I would I would love um, I would love uh, somebody, and it might be it might be Blueberry, it might be Libsyn to break that down in terms of countries. Um, because to me, I'm sure that there are different stories coming out of South America, coming out of Europe, um, Spain in particular, uh, coming out of uh, Southeast Asia. Um, and I'd be really interested in seeing how those breakdowns actually actually uh, um, uh, happen. I'm not sure that Apple is, either, is even number three or even number four in some of those markets. You know, yeah. Rob and I did a, a little bit of discussion. I was you know, wasn't showing screens, but we were just kind of reading some stuff on the last show. And one thing that 
surprised me because I hadn't dug into our back end in a while is that Google Podcast is is making a, a run and they are they are on a rocket ship going up in market share. Matter of fact, uh, at least for our data that we saw, Spotify's down two months in a row. And largely because Google Podcast is starting finally, at least yeah. in what I see in my numbers, making an impact. In, on, and it, if, if the trend continues, um, Google Podcast yeah, would, will be big, ver, be bigger I, I than Spotify. Agree. Yeah, I would agree. And I would also say I've been doing a lot of work around user agents and Google Podcast isn't sending its user agent in about 30% of cases. Um, so, uh, so, you know, and I've raised that as a bug w with the guys there. Um, so, you know, I'm, 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 my suspicion is Google podcast is hard to measure anyway, but the fact that 30% of their traffic is actually coming from something called Android download manager, um, is, uh, is, uh, unfortunate. Um, I've given them the one line that they have to write into their own <laughs> Android right, operating system. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, uh, um, uh, but yeah, you know. I mean, I think Google Podcast is larger than anybody gives it gives it credit for. Um, and I think you know, sometimes we give a bit too much data over to Apple Podcasts. I mean, all of those Apple Core Media uh, user agents. Uh, you know, again, it's been really interesting diving into the data here and finding out. Oh well, actually, X percent of those are not Apple Podcasts. That's they right. are something else. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that is where sometimes the magic sauce that we don't talk about too much when you start looking at user agents and doing deep dives, you go, hmm. Yeah. What's going on here? Right. Yeah. But so I kind of got us on a railroad track here sideways. Sorry, Rob. Yeah. I um, wanted to change the subject a little bit and talk about the content side. So, you know, as we all know, the English speaking um, content coming out of the U S and probably a few other English countries around the world is really dominating the, the list global scale. Um, but for years I've been telling people that, um, it's probably wise to think about your audience, uh, as a global audience, right. And, and to be sensitive to the topic that you talk about in your podcast. So they're not too localized. But I'm getting a sense from, you know, if you see the, the podcast market expanding on a global scale, maybe um, maybe it's okay for English-speaking podcasts to talk about things that are related to the U.S. primarily, or should more podcasters um, kind of strip out topics that, are, that tend to be um, kind of more U.S. and North Central? What's the sensitivity on this topic? Ooh. I can probably, mm, I would, as a podcaster based uh, in Southeast Asia, I'm I, I'm not sure if I can even see the relevance of wanting to talk about certain topic issues that right. are U.S. centric, right. unless I'm building a show that is centering around that. I'm sure that there are a few um, chat uh, podcasts that would you know, bring up news that is happening globally. And if it is that it happened in the U.S., sure, they might bring it up. You know, maybe it's a shock event. Maybe it's, you know, some sort of uh, 
political activity, that makes sense. Um, but in terms of making that a core part show in ASEAN, the, the context is so different and so far away. We're not even talking right. about geographic, but more about what people pay attention to yeah. in terms of audiences here that I don't think you'd have to make anything. Um, I don't think there is a necessity to create US-centric episodes. Or at least, at least that's how I'm, you know. Um, well, that or, you know, lo- looking at it from the inverse perspective of, of mm-hmm. not having U.S.-centric stuff in your podcast so you're sensitive to listeners outside of the U.S. good example is holidays that are celebrated here in the U.S. and only in the U.S. Oftentimes, podcasters will mention that in their podcasts um, in their shows that have a global audience, right? And the listeners in those other countries don't really care about that topic. Um, but I just am wondering if, if people listening on the outside of the U.S. are starting to listen to U.S.-centric stuff so they can learn more about stuff going on in the U.S. Or should we be stripping out topics that are just related to U.S. issues or U.S. things in our podcast more as you look at the future? That's, I think it feels like a um, a, a, a a show by show basis, network right. by network or host by show. Sorry, host by host basis. It's a, it's. I mean, the the the, the logic there is completely sound because it's it's almost back to the DAI, the dynamic ad insertion. Where you know, I get a stamp. Right. I listen to law, and I love show. Sure, I, I really am not interested in stamps.com. and right. it's. It's, it's that, but on a grander scale with the content. And I, I guess it just comes down to the show design. It, it almost speaks right back to the whole team versus true indie, you know, really flying solo or with a team of two or three. In that, you know, you can only be as, as sensitive to something as you've got the bandwidth to be sensitive to it. So if you're, if you're flying solo and if you're, if you're producing your show and you're in America and you open every show with, hey, guys, and, you know, as opposed to talking to the listener, you're already in the mindset of, this is me mass broadcasting to people. So I assume you're just far less sensitive to the fact that someone in Malaysia may be listening. Whereas if you have a team, if you're crediting four to five, they're crunching the numbers, they're looking at the data, redesign the show. Um, and, and I guess it just, personally, I would, I, would, I would posit that it just comes down to individual design and outcomes. You know, if you, like pod news, will intentionally be completely global. And right. perhaps tongue in cheek or, as a throwaway mention of English bank holidays. Um, right. But not make it a central focus. So I, I, I guess personally, I think it's down to the show design. You know, e- even on my tech show, I'll cover stuff in Canada, Australia, the UK, in the United States, mostly. And then we try to, if, if there's some, the producer finds something that I want him, he knows I try to cover international stuff, but it's like holidays. All right, we're going to take the 4th of July off. And I always apologize to the Canadians and the Australians and because I'm like, sorry, it's, it's our holiday. I know it's not yours or, you know, something. Like, but I did try to take a, a look at the calendar, those international calendars, and make a mention from time to time, you know, to, to Australia, Happy Independence Day or whatever it may be that they're having. And, um, and it, the Australian listeners appreciate it. And uh, because oftentimes if I forget to say sorry to them, They'll come back to bash me and say, oh, I was gonna I wanted to hear the show, but you're you're on your holiday. <laughs> right. Well, James, I, I mean he's kinda nice as well because sorry, right. go on. Yeah, I was just gonna mention 
James, I mean, when James started his podnews.net uh, website, it was like this breath of fresh air because I had felt like that the podcast medium um, really didn't have any news outlet that was really um, basically aware of the podcast industry outside of the U.S., right? So when you started doing your newsletter, it just kind of like opened the, well, I don't know if the Pandora's box is the right word to call it, but it just really opened the, <laughs> yeah. the, the whole market to be visible and on a global scale. And that's what was really refreshing. But as you think about creating content, is it, is it great to create, I think a podcast that caters to the, the needs of a, you know, 200 countries. Can, can you actually do that? James, what's your, what's yeah, your feeling I mean, I think, on trying to I cater it, to a global audience? I think, you know, I mean, catering to a global audience is, is hard. It's very hard. Um, right. and you know, when I, um, uh, I, I, I mean, the reason, by the way, the reason why Pod News never takes any uh, holidays um, is that uh, when I wrote the system for the classified ads, and Todd was one of my first customers, so thank you, Todd. When I wrote the system for the classified ads, I forgot to put in anything to do with <laughs> holidays. <laughs> so as a result, I have to publish every day because otherwise people don't get what they pay for. So, um, so that, that was a mistake. Kids, don't do that. Um, but I think uh, in, terms of, um, in terms of content, uh, content comes down to what is relevant for your audience. Now, for some people, um, you know, we, we're very aware of, of you know, Americans, you, you have your Labor Day, you have your, your Independence Day uh, too soon. I don't know. Um, but you have all of that stuff. Um, but, uh, and we're very aware of that. And that's, and that's absolutely fine. I get it's weirder on the other side. It right. would be very strange if next Wednesday I was not to publish a pod news newsletter and say, I'm sorry, it's exhibition day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you'll go, what? Um, but that's a, that's a local holiday that we have here. Um, and so, you know, I think it's just relevant for the audience and, you know, and some audiences, you know, as one example, I listen and a bit sort of broader in terms of content. Um, the New York Times Daily is one of the shows that I, I subscribe to, but I probably listen to, I don't know, one out of five uh, episodes because quite a lot of them are very parochial American things and they're just about America and I'm not that interested. But there are some stories which are, you know, much more interesting for a global audience. Now, that story might be an American story. It might be a story about what's going on about a specific topic, um, but that has ramifications across the world. Um, so, you know, I mean, so quite a lot of this comes down to understanding what it is that you're going to cover, making sure that your show notes are right and all of that kind of stuff so that people are very, are very aware of that. Um, and, you know, to me, that, that's just as important. Um, I mean, Norman, you, you, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on this side? I'm only really, uh, just to add to that, uh, an example of this was, um, was, uh, in a meeting with the CEO of a podcast network here in Malaysia. And part of what we were talking about was defining the audience before we start a new show or before they were trying to test out ideas for a new show. And part of that discussion was him showing me his metric, right? So obviously you can see where your listeners are from all across the world. His podcast network is meant to be for Malaysians, shows created by Malaysians. We're talking about multilingual shows. They have 
both English and elements of Bahasa Malaysia in them. So if you kind of try to transcribe that, good luck because <laughs> we speak like four languages in one sentence and right. it makes fun, right? So that's very culturally specific. But another topic for another time. Um, what's interesting about this metric is even if they have a defined audience for Malaysia, even if that they were making these shows that are that consist of news and or discussions that most Malaysians will resonate with, I would say 20 to 30 percent of them are from the US, and sometimes it goes up to like half. Um, the rest will be, you know, a cluster of listeners from all across the world, and they're trying to figure out like why, why is someone from Dubai listening to Malaysian shows? Like maybe you know it's Malaysian living there or something like that, or maybe it's just by word of mouth. You know, you can have a, many different reasons or rationales as to why that happens, but it's always predominantly American. Even if you make a show that is set to be in a Malaysian context, um, it, it's a bit, it, it's interesting as an observation, mainly because a lot of their shows are in English, but maybe 20% in Malay. And then they're testing out many different languages. Um, but I honestly don't see the need to go US centric in any way if you have defined, if you have already defined your context. Beforehand, when you're starting the show, because American listeners will find you in some way or another, and I think that's reflective of the amazing word of mouth podcast listener culture that is, you know, very prevalent in the U.S. So even for us, listeners are coming in from outside, and it's mainly coming from the U.S. It's pretty interesting. Um, I'm not sure how it is from the other side. Um, how what percentage of shows are being listened um, by Malaysian listeners? Um, because you have to cater for all kinds of countries, right? You yeah. Know, like American shows tend to be the most popular ones in the world. Uh, so it'll be hard to go really granular in terms of, oh, right. what are Asian listeners, you know, what kind of shows are Asian listeners uh, listening to on the Libsyn show? It'd be uh, pretty interesting. Kind of. You know, I think it makes a lot of sense though, because you maybe you have Malay expats living here in the United States that want to stay in touch with what's going on at home. My show, I've got four listeners down on the ice in Antarctica that get the show and I get reports in from time to time. So it's kind of like, I think what you find with this cross country listenership is that it's often your native people that are, that want to know what's, what's happening at home and they miss home and they're trying to get the the insight. I, I used to look after streaming for a radio station in the UK and I once got a press release out that we were, and I, and I can only apologize that we were the Pope's favorite radio station <laughs> because I noticed that there was one connection, one connection from the Vatican City. And I thought, this is, this is too good to pass by. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, as fine in the chat has just made, and I believe he's in Brazil, so hello Brazil, and he's made a really good point, and it's something that I try and, uh, and do in Pod News a fair amount. You will notice that I never talk about winter or summer <laughs> or coming up this fall or uh, yes. autumn as it's properly called um because uh w- winter for me i'm in the middle of winter right <laughs> now right. um so you know so you'll always see pod news for example talking about quarter three and quarter four um so it's just it's just some of those things that just make you all of a sudden uh, you know a little jarry thing saying you know 
um, what are we going to do in the middle of summer? And I'm thinking, I'm thinking January time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And it's, you yeah, know, yeah, we've four seasons as well. And uh, it's always a joke, running joke between a lot of fiction lists. It's uh, dry season, wet season, exam season, and haze. So it, that's, that's how we determine the different quarters. Uh, yeah. But for us, a lot of the shows here, at least, they would always determine by just saying the month. Because it just makes yeah, like yeah, yeah. oh month September, um, yeah. maybe not by quarters, but just by saying the month. That's it for us. My, my, my <laughs> show was defined by either I'm wearing pants or I'm wearing shorts. <laughs> <laughs> I am never wearing shorts. Welcome to England. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. I know you were wanting to, to mention something. I'm just a fidgeter. Rob. I often don't want to talk. I just fidget. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was uh, I was just thinking about what Todd said. I think you you actually raised the perfect point about this global nature of podcasting right at the beginning when you talked about your tech show. Um, and I think it's about sensitivity. I think it's just about being aware because it's 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 the same question around you know what content is relevant, what um, makes a good show, and it, it, the thing that generally makes a bad show or turns someone else is, is just it's being pulled out of listening to it because something just hits the wrong chord. And I think what Todd said about just being sensitive to the fact that I am going to be off 4th of July, but actually I'm aware of this. And I'm, ta- you know, I'm taking that on board and I'm, I'm actually owning it and telling everyone about it. And also being sensitive to your holidays. And what, what was it? Exhibition? Was it engagement? What, what was that one, James? That was a weird one. Exhibition, exhibition day. It's, it's a day. And, and the weird thing is it's a different day depending on which bit of Brisbane you are. Um, and the and the point of it was it, when they bring the sheep and the cows from the rest of Queensland down into Brisbane to show them off and to sell them, um, and uh, and the and the reason why different bits of Brisbane get days off at at, um, at different different days during the, the, this week um, is to allow the schools to all go. Uh, because otherwise, if you only had one day, then you know obviously you'd ha- you'd have everybody going when the schools um, uh, took a, a a a day off, and so um, you know different places have Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, so that all of the school kids can actually go to go to um, to uh, the exhibition. It's actually called Eka Day, it, um, but I didn't want to get all Australian on you. If we had exhibition day here in the United States, everybody would be running around the streets naked. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole do, different context there. Do right? they not do that already? <laughs> no, no, they do not. <laughs> That's what Fox News would tell me. <laughs> so, so on another topic, um, time zones. I know you, you guys are all kind of, you know, living that, that, that world. And we all kind of, you know, as podcasters, we all maybe don't think about time zones as much as maybe we, we should, especially, you know, doing, doing live stuff like this, right? Time zones is a, big thing but it's also a factor in uh when when do you release your episodes right if you're looking at trying to reach you know a certain listener base uh, i mean how, how important is understanding who your primary listeners are as it relates to the time zone it's also the analytics that? as well it, it's right. the you know we so we support um time zone reporting in captivate where you know your, your analytic right. track to your time right. zone and it was interesting because, you know, before that, it was people, the amount of support that came in saying, wait a second, quarter past two, 
what's going on here? Like there are no, there are no downloads, and it actually it was it had just ticked over at two o'clock to be you see midnight or whatever. Um, and it was just you know how can you how can we change the experience for people and make that a little easier for them? Um, and it's it's you know you know you guys know what it's, what it's like. It's always when's the best time to release the episode? And it's mm. inevitably it's just you know, just pick something and be consistent. And that's the, the usual answer. But it's always, like for Norman, you know, if, I, if I'm in the US producing a show that is targeting Malaysia, you know, I'm going to need to think about this a heck of a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, maybe, again, maybe it's back to that context thing. You know, do I, as the host, want to produce that show? Do I have enough experience to do that? Do I have context, enough you know, relevance? Um, and I think... <laughs> Being in the UK, being in GMT, we just, I don't know why I did that, it does exist. Being in GMT, we just, we just assume GMT is fine for everything. So it's a real challenge. And I'm, again, it's really easy to be naive on this. So Norman, I don't know, what do you see when it comes to, to, to the, in particular, the Malaysian market, Southeast Asia market? Do you see, is that a problem? Are people playing catch? Like, what's the situation? So in terms of trying to determine the best time, uh, to post something, I had a conversation uh, with someone from Tech in Asia, which is a tech publication uh, based uh, in Asia. That's obviously in the name. And uh, they do have a podcasting arm. I'm good friends of the person producing it. And he would share with um, his findings in terms of what works best for their defined audience. So what I got from that was the timing to post your episode is only really relevant to the audience that you are working towards. And he has already defined his to be within ASEAN. Um, we don't really cater to uh, releasing to an American audience. At least that's from what I see. And the main reason for that is going, to, going back to what I mentioned before, uh, for some interesting reason, um, American listeners will find us. They've already subscribed. They have already seen that um, a new episode is out, so it'll be up to them to figure out like, oh, uh, whether I should subscribe or whether I should continue or recognize that it is a show that is not in the US, so it is a perfectly safe assumption to think that, oh, the new episode will be, you know, released when I'm asleep or when I'm, you know, doing about, going about my job. So that's actually perfectly fine. Um, so once, once you, if you think about the reach, the intended reach uh, for your show, that is when we have to start thinking about, oh, okay, like 11 a.m. on Monday is when it's most active, you know, post Facebook, whatever, you know, these kinds of tricks. Um, in, in Asia, it, it is picking up. Uh, it, it is picking up, but I can't really give you a sure, you know, best time because there is such a variety of shows popping up. So what works best for them doesn't necessarily work best for say this if you i think we're there's more effect now a more impact because as an example i can record my show on like i do now monday night release it late monday evening and then people are going to pick it up tuesday and, and i that's the audience is trained but this show you know, when i was living in hawaii i used to either have to be up at 5 a.m or 6 a.m to start the show at either 6 a.m or 7 a.m to be able to be on time so that we weren't too late in the day on the 
on the East Coast. And then now that I'm on the East Coast, we've kind of flipped that around. Rob's earlier, having to get up earlier. I'm getting up later and it's all worked out. But my, my other show that I do when I used to be in Hawaii and was doing that started at 8 p.m. Hawaiian Standard Time, the only people that were watching were people in Australia. The, the East Coast was in bed. They were asleep. They were done. They were, you know, they were done for the night. And so that for my show has changed the dynamic of the tech show because I've actually got eight, right. nine, 10 people hanging out with me during the tech show where I never used to, maybe I'd have one or two. So it, for live, it definitely has a dynamic. But again, if you're, if you're, has, your audience is Malay, then you want to be live at, you know, whatever prime time you want to be for that Malay audience when they've got off work and had dinner and got time to be able to watch you live on YouTube or, or YouTube live or Facebook live or wherever it may be. So as more people do live, I think that's where they have to do planning. So yeah. are you guys seeing um, um, more podcasts um, do shows like on Zoom and these live platforms more and then just pushing out the audio out um, as a separate thing? Growth in that way. It seems like it's happening more here in the U.S. I just don't know whether well, not the same pattern is happening. And we have seen that. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. it's the same here. Um, yeah, um, of course, with the, the pandemic and everything, but um, there, there has been more in terms of interview shows going on um, applications like Zoom or CleanFeed or you know, uh, other uh, platforms to just initiate an interview. And, but it's, quite, it's more like a transition. It's more like out of necessity. That's what I'm observing uh, because a lot of these shows tend to be either a combination of one lives as what Todd has been doing, because there are a lot of podcasts as a result of repurposed from Facebook lives. Right? Right. We're seeing a lot of that actually across. Um, and two, um, they have studios here. So you would bring the guests in and mm. they, they need that, you know, that nonverbal cue, that level of communication. And then all of a sudden these things happen and now you zoom. So we, we are seeing more and more people pick up zoom as a way to, to continue with their schedule or continue with the editorial calendar and as well as more and more people who want to start a podcast would immediately go to Zoom as the first option to start, to start uh, the show. Not even to edit or add you know, sound design or an intro or anything like that. It's just a hard upload uh, the video and then on YouTube and then right. from there take the audio version out. So yeah, we are seeing more depth. So we've got about five minutes left and I've had a few people ask how we're doing this today. And obviously we're on zoom with the, uh, with the podcast team, they're doing their thing with the Whova. And then of course I'm actually restreaming today. So I'm restreaming to Facebook, YouTube live. I got two Twitter streams up. Actually we're, we're restreaming to two places on Facebook. So I've been watching the messages across all those platforms as well. So we basically believe again, when we're doing live that we want to be as many places as possible to be able to get uh, audience participation. We don't care how they listen, how long as they get it. And then hopefully they'll come over to newmediashow.com and hit subscribe. I always tell people you can get a PhD in podcasting by listening to the show. Rob and I uh, break it down, uh, you know, now twice a week and just basically put it out there and, and tell it the way it is. And we always want to encourage people that want to be guests to come onto the show uh, whenever they want. Just drop Rob or I an email. We'll give you our email addresses uh, here at the end. But before we wrap up, 
let's go through and I'll start with Mark. Where can they find you? Twitter, email, everything that goes along with that. Thank you very much, chaps. This has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. Um, yes, yeah, so check us out on Twitter at Mr. Asquith, uh, Captivate.fm, and Mark at RebelBaseMedia.io. Thank you again, both of you. And you. James? Uh, you can, uh, you can uh, find uh, my newsletter at podnews.net, um, and uh, I'm, at, uh, I'm James at podnews.net is my uh, email address. I'm on. I'm on Twitter, but don't get upset if I don't uh, acknowledge you because I'm I'm giving that a break because um, Twitter's just gone uh, too mad, insane. So yeah. And uh, Norman. Norman, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can find me at uh, normanchell.com, but I'm mostly active on Twitter. I will try to braid through all that chaos, uh, so it's uh, quite hard. But you know, um, there's a lot of potential there. Uh, at Norman Cella. And if you want, uh, I do other things as well. So maybe if you want to go specifically into podcasting, there is also podloversasia.com and the Twitter at podlovers. You can also just email me at norm at podloversasia.com. Anything podcast. So always have to chat. I don't want to run the clock completely out here, but I'm Todd at blueberry.com. You can find me at Geek News on Twitter. And Rob? And you can find me on Twitter as well at Rob Greenley with two E's. Um, I'm I'm pretty active on that. My main channel. Rob, I, when you say when you say two E's, you've got four E's in your isn't name. Isn't it four? Yeah. <laughs> well, at the end, at the end. It, some people put L Y, so and it oh, messes okay. it all up. So anyway, but you're right. I do have four E's. So we got um, about. Oh, go ahead, Rob. Yeah, uh, or you can send me an email. Uh, Rob G at Lipson.com. I've actually spent a lot more time on uh, LinkedIn here lately too. That helped. And we kind of hinted at it earlier, but Rob is also the chairman of the Podcast Academy. So those of you that are watching yeah. on podcast today, if you have not yet signed up and done your membership for Podcast Academy, this is a time to go over to thepodcastacademy.com. I endorse being an Academy member. Rob will, if you just say, hey, I, I'm recommended by Rob is the guy that I'm using as a referral. Put that in your application. Right. It's 50 bucks. Get in there now, get signed up, support the Academy so that we can do uh, great things with it. Rob, I had to put that plug in for you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, it's always better when it's an endorsed by someone else. Right? So uh, <laughs> there's a big mission over there. And again, uh, subscribe to the new media show. I want to thank uh, the entire team over at PodFest. And of course, uh, Andrew, I know you've been running shotgun here for us. And you've got new guests coming on in a few minutes. But uh, everyone, thanks for joining the new media show. Everyone, take care. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for sharing International Insights. Um, our show, PodFest, resumes at 5 p.m. Eastern for the SheCon, Sharing Her Experience Con. Um, but other than that, I'm going to go ahead and close this down. and looking forward to seeing you all at the rest of the event. See you again. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, folks. Bye.